0: Welcome to State Lobbying Heroes Podcast, a podcast where we delve into the careers and personal life stories of some of the best and the brightest state government relations experts. I'm your host Deepak, CEO of LegisTracker. Amy McConkey grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina with two younger brothers in a deeply religious household. Father was a small businessman in textiles. She did not have much interest in politics as a child except for dinner talks during presidential elections. Amy was not sure which major to pick when she joined UNC Chapel Hill until during her second semester class in political science. Most of her friends hated it except Amy. Amy also loved writing and communicating. So she also applied to School of Journalism as a double major to tap into her communication skills. She got a taste of local politics when she started writing at the Daily Tar Heel. From that point after graduation how did she get into lobbying what is her favorite movie we talk all about it in this next episode with amy mcconkey the first rapid fire question i had is what is the one myth about lobbying you would like to bust okay
1: oh goodness the myth about lobbying there are so many the myth about lobbying i think the myth that I hear a lot, and when I talk to friends who are unfamiliar with being, they hear what they see in maybe a political ad, which is that lobbyists out in back rooms smoking cigars and making big deals I think the fact of the matter is that it's a lot of research it's a lot of meeting it's a lot of conversation and it's a lot of relationship building but I think the 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 stereotype that is often bandied about of of lobbyists as these um, reputationally I think there's a struggle there and some of that has been there's there's always bad actors in any profession and those are usually the ones wants to get the ink and the press, but by and large, it's a group of really honest, excellent, smart folks who want to best represent their industries and their companies. And they have very often not set out to be lobbyists. They've set out to run companies or represent an industry that has some sort of need to really engage with government to to help them be better business owners or more productive or successful in the state. So it's really just a group of hardworking folks who want to improve the uh, the opportunities for the clients they represent. So I've been delighted to uh, to be among them. It's, uh, it's some of the most fantastic people
0: I've ever met. What are the three skills you think are essential for someone to become a good lobbyist?
1: Three skills. I would say skills, whether it be skills or whether it just be sort of your personality traits, you know, I'll kind of think of those interchangeably, but I think a curiosity and a desire to learn, adaptability to new circumstances and situations, you always have to be ready for the terrain to change and understand how, how to sort of move those levers regardless of the situation that you find yourself in. Honesty, obviously, and integrity are at the very top of that list as well.
0: What would you be if you weren't a lobbyist?
1: Oh, this is fun. That's a really good question. And I have spent many, many hours thinking about it because in life as we all do, you wonder what your true calling is. I, I set out initially, and I'm sure we'll get into this later in, uh, in journalism. And that industry just, it's taken some interesting twists and turns in the, in the economics of journalism as, as we could we could spend hours talking. I think, I think a small business owner is where I would turn should this lobbying thing not work out for me.
0: <laughs> okay what is your favorite movie
1: my favorite movie oh this is fun and this is very difficult for someone like me who just loves the movies and has a hard time choosing one goodness gracious i uh i love music and so i think of almost famous which is a music journalist who you know gets swept up in a band and it's uh it's just it's a fun sort of of coming-of-age story and i love those.
0: what inspires or motivates you to be doing what you're doing?
1: In all honesty, I think just a desire to serve. There's always been an interest that I've had in current events, and we'll get into that more, I'm sure, later on. But being in the place where these laws and regulations that affect us more than really anything else, more than those often that we see at the federal level. I think there's just an excitement there and also just a true desire to make the state a good place to do business, a good place to raise a family, to get your kids a good education. Couldn't be any closer to it than I am now, and that's really exciting and and certainly motivates me every day.
0: With that, let's jump into your past. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood? Where did you grow up and how was your childhood? Um, And then we can get on from there.
1: Sure. So I had a sort of a storybook childhood. I, um, I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, was born with the first of three children, was born in 1980, and to two parents who were not from North Carolina. My father grew up in New York on Long Island, and my mother was from California. My dad was a small businessman and actually was in textiles. And so he, he moved down to North Carolina for a job. In textiles, and then I was I was born shortly thereafter. My parents were pretty young when I was born. My mother was 17 when she got married, uh, just a wee babe, and my my father was was 21 at the time when they were when they were married, and they waited five years to uh, to have me. And we lived in a little house that my dad and my mother, or excuse me, and his father built on some land just over the border in South Carolina. We lived there, my first two years. And, uh, and then they moved into Charlotte when I was two and grew up there and just a very working middle class neighborhood. My dad had, good, had a good job, just a middle class. My mother um, stayed home with us um three years later my brother was born and and so we just we went to i went to a a school that was affiliated with our church we grew up in a deeply religious household continued to my my family continues to be um faith is, is is very much um front and center for them and so we grew up that way going to church three four times a week being very plugged in to all of the activities that surround church. It really was the social center of our lives. And my parents were very, very engaged and involved. We had folks at our house a lot, Bible studies and home groups and all of those things. So it was just a really wonderful, loving household. I had two younger brothers and for the most part, we, we were like any family. We, um, we got along well and we also you know, fought like cats and dogs sometimes, but just a lot of time spent outside exploring and I wouldn't say fully free range but we did I mean my, my parents gave us a long rope so there was a lot of days where they'd tell us to come home by the time you know, my mom hollered out the door for dinner and we would just be out and about in the neighborhood so it was it was great and we had a great tight little group of friends and uh, our life my life often revolved around when the little local neighbor, neighborhood swimming swimming pool was open I just spent days and days there and so yeah it was it was it was a great childhood it was very happy memories from that time
0: And were there any glimpses of you being interested in politics back then?
1: None, not even a little bit. My parents, they weren't politically active. They were very active in their church. And so to the extent that they were active, it was, it would often be around issues. It was less around parties. I do recall being active in, in that time in the 80s, it was a, it was a time of sort of this revival of the religious right and them really coming into power politically. And so I do recall long car rides listening to sort of the leaders of that movement on the local radio station and talking a little bit about politics. But that really was as close as we got. We talked around the dinner table during presidential election years. My family was big Reagan Republicans, and they loved Ronald Reagan. And Never quite had that same sort of enthusiasm for candidates since then, really. But, but no, honestly, it wasn't until college that I really got the bug.
0: So yeah, let's jump into your college. What made you pick political science?
1: Yeah, I, I went into college really not knowing what i wanted to do i i went to unc chapel hill and i thought maybe something medical something even you know veterinary medicine i loved animals and i love and i always did well in science classes in high school so i thought maybe i'd go in that direction well of course the 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 age-old story you go into your first big science course at a competitive research university and you quickly realize how you are you're being weeded out of certain professions and that was certainly me and uh, the other part of that that I struggled with is I thought that I wanted to do that but I loved writing and I was good at writing and communicating. And so as I learned that about myself and realized that what I wanted in my head didn't really jive with what I was good at. And and I started moving more in the direction of kind of aligning those two things that I was good at. And maybe that is what I really want to do. So I I took my first poli sci class, my second semester of freshman year, and huge class and probably 150 kids in the class. All of my buddies who took that class with me hated it. And it was Poli Sci 100. I think it was taught by one of my favorite professors at Carolina, uh, George Rabinowitz. But he, I loved it and people who I was contact with in the class all despised it, and so and I was really good at it. And so I thought, huh, let's, let me take more of these classes. And so I continued on in poli-sci, and at the same time as I was really working on my writing and communications, I also got into journalism. And so I was taking classes in the J school at Carolina and, um, and also at the same time taking poli-sci, and eventually I declared a double major in journalism and political science. They go together really nicely. And uh, so much of what we were writing about centered around what was going on uh, politically so it was it was a great combo and ultimately turned out to be what i what i would double major in at chapel hill but all the while i got really i'm someone who loves to join things it can be a blessing and a curse but i'm sort of a joiner at heart and so i got involved in the daily tar heel and wrote on the city desk for for a year and so i was covering the chapel hill town council meetings the orange county commissioners the school board the board of aldermen and chapel Hill. It was great kind of um, on the ground reporting and for for a daily newspaper. And in college, it was a really tremendous opportunity. So I really got the bug there for local politics. And my work around state politics and federal politics was more theoretical in nature coming from my courses, but, but I really did get a good taste for local politics during that time. And then I went on from the city desk at the DTH to being on the editorial board, which was a lot of fun too, and great insight into how the opinion pages are constructed and just the thought process that goes into a board editorial. We had a great group of students who who comprised that board. We interviewed all of the candidates for local office and for the university student government. We would make endorsements and it, that was a lot of fun to hear their ideas for where they wanted school to go and ultimately for us to have the chance to weigh in on who we thought was best suited for those roles.
0: So do you think journalism and political science, do they go hand in hand well with other other? And would you recommend anyone who's listening to this and who wants to get into lobbying, do you recommend they should also take journalism or vice versa?
1: Honestly, it's so, it's so, it's so specific to each person. For me, that was my path. And I think that's one of the fun things about the folks in the lobbying community. We all come at it with with our different backgrounds that that make us that we find our advantages where we can and so for me you know coming at it from from a journalism background i think that that brings certain things to the table and other lobbyists come at it from a business background or a legal background or a campaign background and and they are and they lend those own their own strengths to the process that way so i wouldn't necessarily recommend that someone do that just to get into lobbying i say pursue what it is that excites you and if you want to get into lobbying bring those things to the table with you and whether it be journalism whether it be a legal background whether it be a campaign background whether it be a, you know industry specific background I think that's the best path for for you is to find the thing that excites you and um, and that also you can apply to lobbying
0: so with all your college degree can you recommend like anything which stood out for you, which sure. I mean, like, any coursework or any project which you did, which has helped you in your career? And it has been a while, but I went, one yeah. was curious about it.
1: Yeah. Well, in addition, I would certainly say the college paper was, really great a great opportunity and it really spurred some other things on and i think made me a better candidate for some other opportunities down the road i did a really neat internship summer between my junior and senior years i went to washington dc and worked at a public affairs firm
0: how did you get that position
1: Okay. So I applied, I applied through our journalism school. There were, I think it was just on a little public message board. Literally, it was on a cork board in a hallway that there were opportunities in in the summer to go spend your summer in Washington. And you applied and it was, it was something that I've had to ask my parents for a little help to attend. It wasn't free. We lived on campus at Georgetown University. So we're kind of right in the heart of of the Capitol. It was a really tremendous opportunity. It was with kids from all over the country and living together in student housing. And we all had various work opportunities. So I was placed... Um, this public affairs communications firm. We did hearings on Capitol Hill. We did, back in those days, it's i um, dating myself, but we would, I would, I was, I was, I was the intern. So I did a lot of press clippings for our clients. If there were, if they were in the news for any reason, I would literally cut them out with scissors and piece them together on a piece of paper and fax them to our client and to anyone else on our distribution list. And, but we also, so we did things that, that were that way, that were a, Little more administrative and maybe mundane, but you really did get to see, at least in those days, and of course things are things are changing at hyper speed. But you did get to see how industries use those kinds of firms to get their messages out, and so that was instructive. I had never experienced anything like that before, and and it was just a great way to meet people. We also they did a lot of enrichment things beyond just the summer work experience. So, for instance, I got to meet Helen Thomas, who was, have breakfast with her, with another small group of gals, and Helen Thomas is the first White House, female White House correspondent. We got some, we did a taping of the McLaughlin group. We did, um, we got to meet Bob Novak, Fred Barnes, and some of these media personalities who we would often see on the news, and they would talk us through their experiences, kind of like you and I are doing right now, and how they got to where they were. So it was a lot of fun to see people who who were at the peak of their profession and who were just so down-to-earth and willing to help us think about our careers and ways that we could add getting close to graduating college ways that, or things that we could think about entering the workforce it was it was a really wonderful opportunity.
0: Excellent so after your degree how was, how did you get into the first position you got? It was an education, as an education director, is that right?
1: That's, it, it, that might be the first thing I have in LinkedIn. I'm not sure. That, that was not my first work experience, but <laughs> I'll tell you, I, um, one of the most, I think for my generation, obviously we all remember where we were on September 11th, I was, I was the senior in college and that set in place many events in our country and, and across the world. and we. Were Went into a little mini recession. After that, so I'm entering the workforce immediately post 9/11, and had initially had an offer to go work for that firm that I had 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 spent a summer in in, in DC, and so I was crushed um, because that offer had to be rescinded due to the uh, the recession that we found ourselves in in uh, in the aftermath of 9/11. So I kind of had to pick up the pieces and figure out what to do next. And interestingly, I uh, I worked some odd jobs, and I it was a tough it was a very tough time because as someone who, I'm an optimistic person. I worked really hard in college. I made good grades and I found myself upon graduation without any prospect. The thing that I had that I was so excited about did not work out for me. And so I was in a position where I was just applying for every job that was even a little bit relevant to my background. And even those things weren't working out as, as as quickly as I wanted. So I was living in an apartment in Raleigh. I, I did some retail jobs, which did what I could to pay the bills for a little while. And But I was persistent and I continued to network. And I just felt sure that with persistence would come would come that opportunity and it did interestingly the uh, the day I was getting ready to move back in with my parents. I literally was packing the U-Haul. I got a call. I had some friends who worked in the principal clerk's office in the how the state house. And they had heard that there's an outfit called North Carolina State Watch, which at the time, it's no longer in, in existence today, It's um, but it was a bill tracking service, and this was before we had the capabilities through the legislative website to track legislation in real time. So it was, uh, we did bill tracking, we did little blurbs on committee hearings. It was, the uh, the News & Observer ultimately took it over, but for for a time and while I was there, it really was the service that law lobbyists and other government watchdog Tights subscribed to. We we would send real-time updates to their blackberries or, or whatever it was. And that was that was sort of the new thing at the time. It's so different now. But and we would fax out reports of vote after after each session and just little blurbs on, on the committees. And so I was there. I, I I I got a call while I'm packing my trailer to, to, to move back in with my parents. I got a call. Could I come in and interview that afternoon? And so I did. And I I think the guy, the the gentleman who ran the business said, well, can you start tomorrow? So it was unpack the trailer and move back into the apartment. It really was, it, it, it was at the 11th hour, but it was such an answer to prayers for me. And it was exactly the kind of thing I think that I needed. It gave me the the political opportunity to work in politics and also the journalism kind of stretched to say that I was in journalism, but I was in the center of things and reporting to lobbyists. And really, as I got into that, several months in, sitting in this committee here, hearings, you meet so many of the lobbyists who um, who ultimately gave me my next opportunity. So that was a great first job in politics and on working around Jones Street. I did that, I'm trying to think, it seems like it was about 18 months before that organization was acquired. And we saw the writing on the wall, the folks who worked there. And so before before we got our pink slips, I was able to, fortunately, I met a dear friend and a, and a lobbyist, Paul Stock with the North Carolina Bankers Association. And he was always so kind to me when I was getting my start and so he offered me the opportunity to come interview at the North Carolina Bankers Association and so that was my first that was my first position um, in a trade association and uh, and that was a longer term opportunity that I was with them for three years yes yeah, so as an education specialist so what I did there and it was entry level but what I did there was so they're representing the, the banking industry in the state There was a lot of, a lot of their sort of non-dues revenue comes from continuing education for bankers. And so I was one of the folks who organized those continuing edu- education opportunities. In a way, it was a, a lot of what I did was put on meetings and work with the experts who would run the meetings, find the hotel space and those kinds of things. But but it was a great opportunity to understand trade associations. We had a mid-sized trade association who have got a great banking industry in the state. I had a very charismatic boss who taught me so much and really propelled me into the next phase after that, Thad Woodard, who is now retired, but is, is certainly a legend in North Carolina. Carolina certainly in the banking industry.
0: So going back to your stint of 18 months. So when you were at the state house, did you feel like this is something which you wanted to eventually get into, like lobbying? I mean because back then you weren't lobbying. So right. was that like your first step into that space and is yes. that what you wanted to get in back get back into at some point?
1: Absolutely. It was. And I think as someone who had learned about this process in college and you heard about lobbyists, uh, I think sitting in those meetings and those committee hearings with lobbyists, getting to know them, it demystified it for me. And I, uh, I realized what a warm bunch of people lobbyists are, and I was just fascinated by their jobs, by the process, by the legislature, by all of the people who come from all over the state to represent their districts. I just found it endlessly fascinating, and so yes, that certainly was the moment where I thought that this is the place where I would love to focus my attention and my career.
0: Okay. And so at the Bankers Association, can you explain to me what is that association for? And I'm yeah. just curious, what what is that all about?
1: Certainly. So the North Carolina Bankers Association is the trade association representing the state's, uh, the banking industry and the state. So we are a banking center. We've got San Francisco, New York, Boston, North Carolina. We, we really are, um, in terms nationwide, you know, we're a strong state for the banking industry. And so what we did as an association, they advocate, just like any other trade association, they advocate for the interest of the banks as, as, as a regulated industry, there are obviously many opportunities. I think a lot of the focus that we had during my time there was differentiating the banks from, for instance, the credit unions and making sure that the climate for banks was was hospitable to the growth of the sector. Charlotte really is a, is a city that as someone who grew up in Charlotte, banking has just completely revolutionized that city and grown it to what it is today. And so the, the Bankers Association was very much engaged with leaders at the state and national level to advocate for banks. So made up of a board of bank CEOs that jointly decided on policy. Of course, they had a lobbyist and regulatory attorney and the leader at the helm was Thad Woodard, the spokesman, had a communications arm. We worked, had a system of, you know, was, there were rewards that we would put in place if a bank had been robbed, and so we there were various aspects of the industry that the association they, they promoted. So so it was it was my first trade association job. I started low on the totem pole, but it was a it was a team environment and one where I was given a lot of opportunity quickly. So it was a great place to start really my trade association career and built on interest interest, excuse me, in in trade associations in particular.
0: So what happened after that? It looks like you joined as a legislative specialist, is that right? The next 10?
1: It is. So after my three years at the Bankers Association, I loved the association world. I loved meeting these bank CEOs and these other executives in banking. It was it was fantastic I would recommend it highly for anyone who is wanting to get a better view of how these industry groups interact with with government and with the public but I did miss the proximity to the legislature so sort of with the full blessing of Paul stock who had taken me under his wing early when I was I was a statewide I started looking for opportunities and I did it the old-fashioned way believe it or not I saw an ad in the paper for for a legislative specialist at Smith Anderson Law Firm, and I responded to the ad. And so it's funny, it just feels like an unlikely way to land in that role, now, although at the time that was very typical. So I responded to the ad, I got a call back and had a, had a couple great interviews and with Dave Horn and Dana Simpson, who are the co heads of that practice, and was delighted to have an offer extended. And so I went to work with Smith Anderson. And so Smith Anderson is the, the largest law firm in Raleigh and has built out a really strong government affairs practice under the leadership of, of Dave. Warren and Dana Simpson and represents a great roster of clients so it was tremendous opportunity to learn from two just excellent excellent leaders in government affairs and so that was fun and i worked more closely with dave fairly directly with dave sort of a junior lobbyist to him we had some terrific clients coming from a trade association background we had several trade associations that we represented the state medical society the cpa association a group of travel and tourism Industry folks called the Travel and Tourism Coalition and the Economic Development Partnerships that were in place at the time around the state. So we had those more association type clients and then we had just some great marquee clients, Honda, Waste Management, Fidelity, Fidelity Investments, Apple, EDS. It was just a great roster of clients and was Tremendously, we just stayed very busy and stayed very busy in almost every area of policy. So it was a, we just kind of dove right in and really had the full spectrum of issues and working top to bottom with members from leadership on down. So it was a really excellent experience.
0: Okay. After that position, you got a position as the director of government affairs am i right at the nc Beverages. okay how yes so,
1: so i so after three years at smith anderson interestingly i was on a board i was on a board the board of keep north carolina beautiful and met butch gunnels who is now retired but he was president of the north carolina beverage association and so butch and i got to know each other through that board and he needed a number two, And so long story short, I was given the opportunity to serve under Butch. And that really was sort of the professional experience that I think has most shaped me as a lobbyist. Butch has been, Butch was one of the first staffers at the General Assembly, the first staff attorneys, when they first brought on Attorneys, So he has an incredibly deep knowledge of the process and the players and he has been lobbying for, he had been lobbying at the time for 25 years when I came on to work with him. So just a, the institutional knowledge was vast and, and the opportunity to really focus in and hone in on one industry was really exciting to me at the time. And so I had a great run at the North Carolina Beverage Association. I worked with Butch hand in hand for eight years. And then when he retired, I, um, I stepped into his role for another two. So it's great. It's a great industry, storied industry. Obviously, we've had these manufacturers of non-alcoholic beverages as as a key component in their communities for over 100 years. We got to um, participate in many of our company's centennials, which is just really amazing to represent an industry that has such longevity in the state and is so deeply woven into the fabric of of our state and our country. So just in a, a dynamic group of business owners who have really innovated. And it's incredible to think of what the industry looked like back at the turn of the century to what it looks like now with really hundreds, thousands even of different types and brands of products that they distribute and market. So it was a really fun, exciting opportunity to be sort of the head cheerleader for that industry for 10 years.
0: And was there any policy or project you guys worked on, which stood out for you during that tenure there?
1: Sure. So interestingly, we, our focus has shifted through those 10 years. And so our core focuses, when I first came on, a real focus was to really diversify our portfolio. We took a real leadership position in that we voluntarily removed full calorie beverages as an industry, voluntarily removed full calorie beverages from schools, and that was something that we worked with then Lieutenant Governor Beth Perdue on, and we were the first in the country to do that. We actually set a model for the rest of the states, and it sort of opened the door for a nationwide removal of full calorie beverages and our National Trade Association followed suit shortly after we made that move in North Carolina. So that was that was something that we at the time and, and Butch really presided over this this time. And then I, I came on more as we telling the story of the action that we took but we came into that and there was some worry among among the leadership of the the trade association that it would not be well received you can imagine that pulling back that way but interestingly i think the move was embraced by the board and it really was a leadership position that we took and it gave us a really exciting opportunity to to work with members of the public health community and to work towards solutions to obesity that were that were led by industry that 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 we could champion and that were that really were great for public health. We reduced full calorie, we reduced the calories consumed on schools by over 90%. So it really was an area that we're very proud of. So that really at the beginning of my time with the Beverage Association was 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 the story that that we told most proudly and forging lots of important partnerships there, encouraging 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 uh, folks to balance their calorie intake and finding solutions that didn't ban sodas or didn't lump them into a category of items that were that were taxed in a way that we we found discriminatory. So so that was a really that was a gr- great leadership opportunity. As I worked several years down the road, the focus really turned to sustainability and so we have had some really great opportunities to partner with other organizations to promote the 100% recyclability of containers and talk about how we are investing in investing in infrastructure to promote recycling, to increase recycling. We have been huge supporters over the years, the industry in groups like Keep America Beautiful that work tirelessly to keep the roadsides free of litter. So really having a a more sharper focus toward the end of my term at the association on um, sustainability issues, plastics, recycling, and and really innovating around sustainability was, uh, was a fun challenge and exciting to get that Get that positive word out.
0: You did say, you did mention that this position at the NC Beverage Association kind of shaped you to a major extent as to, you know, as far as lobbying goes. Can you tell us what was the one skill or one takeaway you got from that position?
1: The the key takeaway, I think, would be that's a good question. There's there's so many, but if I could list one, I think it would be just I might have to make you pause this while I think it through, Deepak. But so I think the one takeaway, the key takeaway there would be the importance of connecting your members with their lawmakers. The grassroots component of lobbying was something that we saw the value in every day and just even from the smallest interactions with, whether it be sending their company newsletter to their local elected official or inviting their mayor to their company picnic. Whatever it was, I think every opportunity we had to impress upon our members the importance of them building up their relationship with, 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 with their local delegation was uh, was a huge takeaway. And you saw if there was something that we saw a bill introduced that was detrimental to the industry, when you have a member call versus who knows their senator, knows their representative, knows their mayor, when you have that member call or saying versus you doing it as their lobbyist, it's so much more effective to have their constituent make that call, make that outreach, make that ask. So so I really think that was a key takeaway.
0: So now we move on to your current position as the Executive Vice President at Visa Strategies. How did you end up in that position and talk us a little bit about what are your responsibilities here?
1: Sure. So it's been very it's been a recent move. So Senator Tom Apadaka, who served for fourteen years in the state Senate, and in those latter years was the top lieutenant, Senate Rules Chair and top lieutenant to Senator Senate President Pro Tem Philberger. So he began his practice, clearly built a tremendous roster of clients and, and was working effectively for those clients from day one. And so I admired his career and what he was building. So when an opportunity came to sit down with him and talk a little bit more about that, I uh, certainly did not pass that up. So we began talking more conceptually about what, what it would look like for me to possibly work in partnership with him. And ultimately, decided to be a great thing. He is a charismatic leader. He comes, he's a very prag. he is a lawmaker. He was pragmatic. As a business person, he's pragmatic. He's got that entrepreneurial spirit. He's got a really tremendous backstory. I'd love to have, have him on. He he's, He tells stories far better than I ever will. Just a larger than life personality and someone who's really, he's done a lot of things for the state, represented Western North Carolina very well, been a champion for universities and really helped create a great business environment in this state. And so that opportunity was, was one that I just couldn't pass up. So it was really tough to leave where I was. I I thought I would retire at the Beverage Association. There was kind of in the back of my mind, some desire to work on more issues, working in the niche for, for a niche industry is awesome because you get, you, you get to be- become an expert and you get deep into your issues. And, uh, and it's wonderful to, to be an expert in something. As a contract lobbyist 10 years prior... I craved that, that ability to go deep on issues because his contract is typically more general and broad. But after 10 years in, there was sort of some pull in the other direction to work policy areas, sort of to broaden my policy background. And so when he came calling, just the mix of his his success, his demeanor his what i thought the two of us would make a great team and a great pair we both bring very very different skills to the table than uh then it really was just a clear a clear decision at that point to make the to step
0: oh, okay and can you tell us like do you have any specific verticals you work with or is it like across the board you're fine with health transportation anything like that
1: yeah, no, we do. So, so we've got a a small team. It's uh, so so. Senator Appadoc is the he manages the practice, and myself as executive vice president, Hannah Nye is an attorney. She's been with Senator Appadoc since the beginning. Her focus, she is she's an expert in healthcare. So we are grateful for her because that is an area that requires and expertise that that she has. And so she focuses in on healthcare. She also has a great regulatory background and really on behalf of all of our clients can help them navigate very complex regulatory environment in the state she just brings a great background towards that so those really are that's so that's an area where she focuses and she she brings a ton of value to the table there my focus is I'll be the primary lobbyist for, for our business clients so um, yeah, we represent we've, we've got a broad spectrum one client that's particularly fun to work for for me is the beer and wine wholesalers Association coming from a, a beverage background there's a lot of issues that I'm well familiar with, so, and just a trade associate, another trade association, so it, that's an area that is, um, I come in with a leg up on that. We um, we represent Altria, which is the parent company of Philip Morris, North Carolina Cable Telecommunications Association, She's doing a lot of great work on rural broadband. We represent Avangrid, who does work in the wind energy space, of course, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Insurer, and Rex Hospital IDT, which is the technology vendor for for the North Carolina Education Lottery, American General. I'm sure I'm going to be leaving some someone out. Cardinal Innovations, Healthcare, and so we've got a great roster, and it keeps us very busy, and it really spans spans policy areas. But I'm fairly new to the to the firm, and so really still in the process of understanding our clients and their needs, and uh, looking forward to having our first my first long session with Vista.
0: So having seen both sides of the coin, like as far as both contract lobbying and also working for independent organizations. If someone were, was listening to this and they are debating when, how to get into lobbying, would you prefer one over the other? for them to get started easily?
1: I think it's just really gonna depend upon the opportunity. It would be hard to favor one versus the other, not, not knowing anything else, any, any other factors at play. I think if you, an advantage coming in to an in-house lobbying situation is that you can get a full contract issue, Quick order. The disadvantage of coming in early as a contract lobbyist, it it can be overwhelming. There's a lot of obviously a lot of relationships to manage, multiple clients to manage. If I were to, if you were to have your pick of any opportunity, which let's face it, you have what's in front of you. But if you were to have your pick, I, perhaps getting started would make sense to put, have your be a little more narrow, build out from there.
0: So I think those were the set of questions I have about your career. Let's look towards the future, or if you would like to take a few minutes just to talk about yourself, or anything you think I missed out on, here's your chance. So you can take a few minutes or seconds. Sure.
1: I feel like we we touched on so much and I hope I didn't ramble too much, but I think that the piece of advice that I would leave, leave you with, leave your listeners with is lobbying is, it's like in a way like they say it takes a village to raise a child. And there's, there's, there's a bit of that too, to lobbying. You really need to forge strong relationships, not only with lawmakers and with your clients, but with fellow lobbyists. And Thank you. the cat that's been one of the joys of the job as well. Just forming a great group of professional friends that support each other and help each other out when we need fair information that we hear that might be helpful to the other person. It's just, it's been a real pleasure to get to know folks like that, to be part of a network where we just sort of look after each other. It's a great group. It's a great old, you don't like what you're doing one day, wait five minutes and you're doing something else. So every day, is new and different and an adventure. I just feel very lucky to have fallen into this.
0: With that, I really wanted to thank you for being on the show, Amy. Thank you for spending this hour or 45 minutes with me. I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much. This was fun.
0: again for listening to another episode of state lobbying heroes podcast have a fun and safe holiday with your family and friends merry christmas and happy new year